Well, good morning. Good morning, good morning. Um, we have been in a series in the book of First Peter, so we're going to be digging into First Peter, uh, second part of chapter two this morning, and we've entitled this series Exiles for the City because that's the way Peter describes us as his people. Um, and if I were to pick a book um, that would be, I would say, relevant for our day, our time, and any time and any place would be First Peter. Of how to live in a culture, how to live in a society that's not always welcoming to the faith, that, that always doesn't that doesn't believe necessarily what you uh, believe. And, it, and it's always been, I think, one of my favorite books for that reason alone. That if you wanted to call it a, a guide, uh, if you wanted to call it um, a, a letter to a people of how to live uh, in hostility and persecution and suffering, and and when people don't really think you're cool because you're Christian or whatever it may be, First Peter is very, very, I think, relevant for us in any time and any place. And I think that's also why um, the, the, the scriptures have, have just kind of lasted the, the test of time, because any time, any generation, these words are always relevant, because I think the, 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 the reality of the gospel is that it always has a push and pull effect, that it, that it pushes some away, but it also pulls people in. That's what the cross does. Um, and, and so we've been looking at First Peter of just how do we live as God's people um, in the world. And we've looked at, uh, for the first couple of weeks, we've looked at this idea that we have this living hope in Christ. The way the letter begins is he doesn't begin with, hey, go do these things and go live and, and go you know, proclaim the gospel. It's remember your living hope because of the resurrection of Christ. Remember that you are his people, that you belong to him, that you have a new, new family. And we have this hope that's untouchable. So no matter what's going on in your life, no matter what's going on in our city, no matter what's going on in the world, we have this hope that no one can take away from us. I think it's profound the way the letter begins because it doesn't begin with go and do. It begins with who you are, what Christ has done on your uh, behalf. Find your identity there. And then, and then last week we, we looked at what obedience looks like, fueled by this same hope, fueled by the same grace, is to remember again the grace that's been extended to you. Now we go live these holy lives. Why? So that others would be drawn in as well. That that's always been God's plan is that he was raising up a holy people because he's a holy God. And as they take on the character in very imperfect ways and resemble this God, others would be drawn in. We see that in the Old Testament, right? Here's God saves his people. He rescues them out of, out of Egypt. He, he brings them to himself and then he gives them these commands. And he says, as you follow these commands, as you listen to these commands, as you obey these commands, the world will begin to see what I'm like and how the world works. It was always going to be through his people. And First Peter picks up a lot of those themes, this idea of, of being a, a holy priesthood, this idea of being exiles and sojourners. And so today we're going to look at First Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 4 to verse 12. And we're going to look at, he's going to do a this new identity in which we've found in Christ. The, 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 the language that he uses, this idea that we're living stones, that we're a holy priesthood, a, a, a chosen race, that, that we're exiles, that we're sojourners. He's going to dig a little deeper into that and say, okay, because of this identity, how are we to live in our culture? How are we to live in our city? And so I want to look at that just for a few moments with you uh, this morning. So if you have a Bible, 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 4, and I'm just going to read to verse 12. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 verse 12 to verse 12. It'll be up on the screen, or if you have a Bible, it's a thousand, 1,014 in your chair Bible there. If you have your own Bible, I don't know what page yours is on, but it's in First Peter. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. 
You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word, as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when you speak against, so when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. This is the word of God for us this morning. Let us pray. Father, we come now and ask that you would illuminate our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit to hear and receive all that you want to say to us through First Peter. Uh, we believe your word is, is powerful, it's living, it's active, it's sufficient, it's effective. And so we submit ourselves to you and we want to hear from you this morning. Help us respond with worship and obedience. Convict us where we need convic- conviction. Comfort us where we need comfort. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So Peter does another deep dive into our identity. What, what is our identity in Christ? Now that we are followers of this Jesus, he, he begins to, to kind of identify these different identities. So I'm going to look at kind of what is our new identity based on this text, and then how does our, this new identity shape the mission in which God has called us to? And we'll see that in our text as well. So, so what is this new identity? Notice in verse 4, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. That little phrase, as you come to him. So this, this idea of relationship, that's where it, it begins. We get a new identity as we come to this person in Jesus Christ. So this one he describes as a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. And he, and he kind of plays with the, that, the idea of a God being, Jesus being this living stone. Um, and, he, and he's going to talk about the, 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 some temple language and, and builder, builders and houses and all these kinds of things. But he's kind of using this metaphor as an understanding of this stone is a living stone because he's a living God. He's the living God. He's the resurrected Christ. And so as you come to this living stone, you are now living stones. As you come to this precious stone, as Peter says, you are now the same precious stones. Even though the world may reject you and they may not see this Jesus as precious, God sees him as precious and he sees you, his people, as these precious stones. And so it's important to understand that that, that when this culture in 2,000 years ago saw this Jesus, they rejected him and said, no, 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 no. This living stone, this this same metaphor, you know, to build the the house on, to build the temple on, to, to build our lives on, he's not the one. You mean this suffering servant, this guy from Galilee, this peasant who had no place to lay his head? There's no way this is the Messiah we've been looking for. And so he was rejected in every way. He was rejected by the Jewish people, the, his, his, his kin, right? The, the people that were supposed to understand that this was the, the Messiah that was to come. Isaiah 53 kept pointing, this Messiah is coming. And then he came and they said, no, no this can't be him. And then in a, in a Greek culture, in a, in a Roman culture, the, the, those that had all these kinds of different gods and deities, they said, there's no way this is a God. God doesn't die. 
How could this be the one in which we were to build our entire lives on? So Jesus comes as this living stone. But notice the language. If you keep following the text, if you go down to like verse 6, it says, um, For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for who those who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And so the cornerstone, if you were a builder in the first century, would be the first stone that you laid down to build the foundation of this building, whether it was a house, whether it was a temple. It was, it was kind of the plumb line for everything else. So this, this cornerstone would have been the, the, the piece that you put in, and, and it's very obvious I'm a, I'm a builder and I know how this stuff works, is you put that cornerstone in, and then you begin to build everything out from that cornerstone. And so hear what Peter's saying. It's very subversive in this culture. He's saying, hey, this Jesus, everything is, is built on him. He's the foundation. He's the cornerstone. And if you were in that culture, you would go, I know what a cornerstone is. I know that's the, the, the piece, the most important piece. And if, if things aren't built around that in proper order, it's going to crumble and it's not going to stand. And he says, yeah, that Jesus, the one that you're re- rejecting, the one that you're having a hard time getting uh, understanding that he is the Messiah, the, the one that you don't see as the precious, most precious stone has become an offense to you and you've rejected him. And so in this, this culture, these builders, as Peter uses this, this the, the idea that the stone that the builders rejected would just be the world to say, it's not him. He's not the one. Why would we give our lives to him? Why would we follow him? Why would we listen to him? And so imagine a people that are scattered. Imagine a people that are suffering. And that's what's happening here in First Peter. Imagine them, them going, what is going on? No, nobody loves this God the way that we love these God. And he's saying, hey, that's okay. Because God sees this Jesus as precious. He's the cornerstone. He's the foundation. And now that you are in him, you are now the same living stones. That as you build your life around him, as you build your life around this cornerstone, that everything kind of flows from Everything will go the way it's supposed to go. Even if on paper and even if with our eyes we see everyone rejecting him, you're still his precious people. And he's going to build on that again through this text because he's going to, going to call them and, and call them this, this chosen race, this holy priesthood, this possession that belongs to God. God sees his people as precious even when the world doesn't. And even when the world doesn't see Jesus as precious, we still are and he still is. I found this quote this week. I, I, as I was studying, I was looking at a commentary. I, I, didn't, I forgot to mark where it came from, but um, it says, the difference between Christians and non-Christians is not that we see different things, but that we see the same things differently. Let me read that again. The difference between Christians and non-Christians is not that we see different things, but that we see the same things differently. And see, that's, that's what Peter's getting at here. He's saying they, they're looking at this Jesus and they don't see him as precious. They don't see him as the creator. They don't see him as the redeemer. They don't see him as the Messiah that was to come to redeem and restore all things and forgive us of our sins. The one who's reconciling all things to, him, to himself, the word that became flesh. And so we can look at Jesus. Two people can look at Jesus and one can say, precious God, treasure, beautiful, amazing God of gods, Lord of lords. And others can say, nope, junk, we don't need him. So we can look at the same things. We can look at the scriptures and say, word of God, sufficient. God speaks, not just, you know, the equivalent to the New York Times. It's the living, active word of God. And others can say, no, just an ancient book full of contradictions has no relevance to my life. 
And so Peter's encouragement to his people in this context and his encouragement to us is to say, to say remember your, one of your identities is a living stone because you follow the cornerstone, the one that everything is built, that even though some don't see this Jesus as precious, we see him as precious, and you are precious because you belong to God. And the word, as we saw in verse 8, end of verse 8, they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. This gospel, this good news of grace, some see it as the most amazing, beautiful thing in the universe, and some stumble over and say, I don't need that. I'm fine. But we know that's true, right? We have family, friends. Maybe you're in this room, right? Some say it's, it's the greatest thing we've ever heard, and someone say, yeah, that's fine. That's nice for you, not for me. But that's the message in which we proclaim this, this precious Jesus, this, this cornerstone that everything is built around our lives, the church, the universe. Now, secondly, as he continues to build on, not only is there like this living stone, we're, we're called these living stones to, to kind of build our lives around Christ, but also he calls us this royal priesthood. We've preached on this. We've talked about that. I've mentioned this text a million times, but, but notice in verse nine, how he keeps building out these identities, but you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Now, not to get weird, but I could preach this text a lot better if we just paused for a second and you just heard God say this to you as if it's coming out of my voice. I'm not God. But from the scriptures, you are a chosen race. Steve and Mary. Scott and Sarah. A royal priesthood a holy nation, a people for his own possession. And I think that's how we're supposed to read these kind of texts. It's not just skim over them, but to to, to pause and go, that's who I am. That when the world is falling apart and when things aren't going well and and Christianity is not cool and it's not cool to open my mouth because they might think I'm not, you know, on the inside because I'm a Christian, I have weird beliefs, is to say, no, 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 I want you to remember, Ryan, I want you to remember New City Church, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation of people for his own possession. You belong to God. That's why we gather on Sundays. Because I don't know about you, about Wednesday, I'm already forgetting who I am in Christ. <laughs> right? And so, so I need help. I need, I need the scriptures. I need brothers and sisters. I need the church to, to come and remind me again, what is my core identity as a believer in Christ? That I've been, I've been chosen by God. He's the one who initiates this relationship. And Peter's referencing, he, we're, we're this chosen race because God comes after us. He doesn't wait for us to figure things out. And, you know, well, I just, I don't like a God who's kind of pushy and this and that. But the problem is that I would need a God who's pushy because I don't even know what I need. I need a God who comes to me and rescues me. The one who throws in the life jacket and the life raft because I don't even know I'm drowning. I need a God like that. And so that's what he did with his people. He's picking up uh, Exodus 19. Uh, In Exodus 19, Similar language here. This is just carrying on in the New Testament. Peter, very rooted in the Old Testament scriptures. Obviously, a Jew uh, would understand this. In in Exodus 19, verse 4, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Chosen race. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. 
so it begins with redemption and then out of that redemption flows our obedience to Christ right it's it's I saved you I redeemed you I brought you out of slavery I brought you into freedom I brought you into the the promised land and now out of a response to that now go live as my people go live as a holy nation set apart for my purposes go live as a kingdom of priests among all the peoples of the world because you are my prized possession now, what's shifted is that we don't have, we don't need Old Testament priests anymore. You know, I'm not a priest, I'm a pastor. Like, I, I'm not, you know, uh, different people see this in different ways. You know, even the Catholic Church with the role of the priest. But we now have a, a perfect high priest. I submit to the perfect high priest. His name is Jesus. He's the senior pastor. He's the chief shepherd. And so all of us, this is the priesthood of all believers, very much a reformational teaching, that now all of us with the Spirit of God are able to do a few things. One is we can understand the Scriptures. We don't need someone to intervene for us. Now we need teachers and we need people with gifts to help kind of unpack and teach and, and all of that. But you begin the Holy Spirit of God that you can actually begin to understand what this book is saying. Maybe in very small ways and in beginner ways, but, but the reality is all of us, we don't need a, a guru to tell us what it says. But it also means that you've been given gifts, you've been given abilities, you've been given talents, so that now, as a kingdom of priests out in the world, is now the priest used to stand before, uh, before the people and before God and offer you know, sacrifices for sins, is, is now all of us have that role, is that we now live on behalf of God, that we can point others to this Christ and say, you can have your sins forgiven just like they were forgiven by me. You, you can have your sins forgiven the same way Christ has forgiven me. We all become priests in a sense. Are you with me? Yeah. Now, I'll say this teaching needs to be awakened in our generation. Because too much, you look to me, you look to other pastors, you look to other people and say, no, that's my priest, that's my, that's my pastor, right? He does all the spiritual things and we just kind of follow along. That's not what Peter's saying here. He's saying that as you go out in the city, you are a kingdom priest. You are a holy nation. You've been set apart for God. You have gifts and abilities and talents to offer others and, and sacrifices to this God. And as you uh, live as living sacrifices, Paul would say in Romans 12, others would be drawn in. So in your relationships, in your work all of us that's our new identity it's not just for pastors it's not just for elders it's not for you know religious professionals if you will that you're a holy nation set apart for god and a mission in the world and and that flows into what we've called this entitled this whole whole series exiles for the city if you jump down to verse 11 beloved i urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passion of the flesh we'll get to that in just a moment. This, this other identity, this, we're, we're these living stones, we're a royal priesthood, we're a chosen race, a holy nation, but we're also these sojourners and exiles that we're very comfortable in our culture, but simultaneously we're not comfortable at all. That's the tension in which we live, right? We enjoy barbecue, praise God. Whether you eat or drink, do it for the glory of God. Let's get our brisket on. We wear certain clothes, most people wear very similar kind of clothes, right? There's not like Christian garb. You don't become a Christian and here's your white robe, right? The Mormons do that, but that's a whole other conversation. Your holy undies and whatever weird stuff. But nothing against the Mormons, but it's just true. We live in a culture where we're comfortable with a lot of things. Music, art, 
the beauty of creation, food, whatever it is. But then there's things we're not comfortable with. We live in this tension because this isn't our home and we have different values and we live by, we have a different king and we have different perspective on things. And so how we see identity, how we see sexuality, how we see relationships, how we see our work, how we see our purpose in the world, how we see money and time and energy and all these, these things, we see things very differently. So as soldiers and exiles, we live in this world, but we're to be not of this world. We're always living in this tension. Always. And he says, you need to remember your true identity, your true home. God is redeeming and restoring all things. The Kansas City is a great city, but it's not the city of all cities. It's not the new city to come. This city will be redeemed, just like every city in the universe. And so we have to remember that constantly. We have to remind each other as God's people constantly, hey, this isn't your final destination. This isn't your final destination because you're sojourners and exiles. And, and that was a great comfort to the people in the first century to remember, hey, they don't see Jesus as precious like you do. They don't believe what you do. And yet you're still called to love this city the same way God so loved the world that he gave his only son to redeem it and restore it. Because I, I don't know about you, it's just easier to want to retreat, isn't it? It's easier just to want to kind of live in little isolation and subcultures and just kind of say, you know, forget people that don't believe what I believe and just kind of live over here. But that's not what, what Peter has for us. And that's where I want to I move to the how, the, our, our new identity, how it shapes the mission. And I, and I find these couple verses really, really helpful to understand, well, what does that look like for us? What does it look like if we're these, called to be these living stones, this royal priesthood, this holy people set apart for the purposes of God? If we're, we're called to be sojourners and exiles, well, how do we do that? And Peter gives us some great verses for that. Notice in verse 11, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Well, what the gospel does for us is it frees us up to live counterculturally within a city. Okay, that's why we call it, I picked the word very, very uh, intentionally, exiles for the city. Not against the city, for the city. Because of a text like this. That we can live counterculturally, we can believe what we be. we can, can find our lives rooted in this living hope and still be for our city, for our culture, for our society. We can live counterculturally among, we can live very distinct lives within it. Now, notice how Peter kind of begins to talk about that in very strange ways. <laughs> kind of like, wait, wait a minute. He says, Beloved, I urge you, sojourners, exiles, to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Like, okay, Peter, that's where you're going to start? Okay. <laughs> it makes total sense, though. Think about it. Because our desires, they lie to us. They say, this is the good life. This is what the flourishing life looks like, right? This is, this is where, where, where everything is going to work out just right. So we have these desires, these inner things that, that go against what we call the flesh in the scriptures, that go against the ways of God, that go against the character of God. That's our default mode. When we come out of the womb, everything in us says there's a way that's better than God, right? It's what the way Peter, or, uh, excuse me, Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 2. Probably familiar with this text if you've been around here for any length of time, but, but Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3 
among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, made us alive together with Christ. So, so before Christ, we have all these desires, we have all these, these things, these motivations, these behaviors that go against the ways of God, that goes against the ways of Christ and the commands of Christ, and they wage war against us. I don't want to listen to God. I know what's best for my life. Right? I'll do things my way. Right? So, so there's this kind of inward battle going on. If you jump to chapter 4, verse 22, Paul says the same thing a little different way. Verse 22. I'll start in 21. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught him as the truth in Jesus, so put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful, what's the word? Desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. So he's saying, hey, you need to constantly put off these old ways and put on new ways, a righteousness that comes from Christ. These desires that wage war against you. Isn't that interesting? This is where Peter's going to say, going to start he's saying, there's this war that's going on in your, inside your soul. And what it's doing as these desires come up in us is it's affecting the way we live in the world. <laughs> that's why he's doing this. He says you need to keep tabs on that because, because believe me, when our desires get out of whack, everything else gets out of whack, doesn't it? And the whole world's out of whack because we have des sinful desires that are out of whack, right? It's why we have war. It's why we have conflict. That's why we have hate. That's why we have murder, right? That's why we have lust that's out of control because it's from the inside. That's where our behavior goes. That's where our actions go. That's what Jesus said. He said it's not the external we need to fix. It's the internal. That's where anger comes from. It comes from our soul. It comes from the inside. So Peter is doing something extremely profound here. Is he's beginning with our souls and saying, hey, the first place, if you want to live in our city, rooted in this new identity in Christ, you have to know that there's these desires and things that rage against you each and every day that's going to every day tell you a lie and say, no, 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 no. This is better than Jesus. And it's going to take all shapes and sizes, isn't it? And, and here's, I'll, I'll let you in a little secret. We all sin differently. My struggles are not your struggles. They're different. Now, there may be common things, <laughs> but for some it might be, you know, this, this allure of, of success and, and work and money, right? It's just, it's become so strong. I got to be something. I got to, you know, and sometimes we look at that and we go, well, it's actually driven by the fact I just want to make my dad happy or my mom, Right? If I just have this, if I just live in a certain place, if I, if I just even, if I could just be a pastor, you know, just be the, the great, if I could just work in the church, you know, for some, we, we always look at it as a negative, but there's a lot of that too. So we build our identity around those, those things. And so Peter's encouraging us and reminding us that we have these desires that are out of whack. That's where you got to begin. Now, I think one of the dangers, and Peter's going to lay this out for us based on this idea is one, there's a, there's a danger of what we'll call cultural accommodation, okay? A danger of cultural accommodation. So, so one of the dangers is, is verse 8 is, and a stone, a stumbling box, and a rock of offense, they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. And so, so we believe that, that I can do whatever I want, right? I, I can become just like the culture. If I want to win people to Christ, i got to become just like everyone else, right? I don't want to be that guy, right, or gal, 
I, I, I got to look like them. I got to talk like them. I got to, you know, watch the things they watch so I can have an in. I can have a, so I can have a good conversation with what, whatever that, that thing is. And so, so one of the dangers as we kind of engage in our city is, is accommodation. And Peter's saying, no, 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 you don't have to accommodate. You don't have to become like them. You're new, right? That's what he's talking about, these desires, right? You're, you're new. You put on a new way of life. I'm an exile. I'm a sojourner. I have a new way. I'm a, I'm a priest. I, I have a, a, an opportunity to, to, to bring sacrifices to God and, and to, to point other people to Christ. I, I have these changed desires, so I don't need to, to accommodate to culture. So that'd be one danger. But I think this is also on the other side of that, which Peter's going to lay out very clearly. The other danger is also withdrawal and isolation. Notice what he says in verse 12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So, so the one danger is we can become like the culture. The other danger is we can actually withdraw and isolate from the culture. He's saying, well, how, how are you going to make your conduct honorable before the Gentiles, before people that don't believe? You can't do that in isolation. You can't do that by withdrawing. It's an impossibility. So he's saying, as you live your life rooted in this identity, as a holy nation, as a chosen people, right in the thick of things, live such honorable lives that by your good deeds, people would glorify God. Don't withdraw. Don't isolate. And we know historically, and we know biblically, the way in which this little ragtag group of nobodies in the first century following this peasant who resurrected from the dead literally changed the world and turned the Roman Empire upside down. Even the scripture said that. They didn't accommodate and they didn't isolate. They lived distinct lives as a counterculture right in the middle of it. We have all these, these testimonies of early Christians when, when their plagues would break out and sickness would break out. They were the ones that became the hospitals. They were the ones that became the social workers. And even non-Christians and pagans would go, I don't understand. You take care of your people and you take care of our people at the same time. What? Why do you care about us? Because our Messiah did the same thing. He laid his life down for his enemies. He blessed his enemies. He forgave his enemies. He healed people that didn't deserve to be healed. And so we are here to do the exact same things. They didn't accommodate and they didn't withdraw or isolate. And I think when we, when we think about this, you know, in, in the church and, and Christians, is, is we, we, we just have this, this view. I think there's two camps that kind of see it this way. It's like, you know, the problem with the church is we're just all accommodated, right? We're not living holy lives. We're living like the world. And there's, of course, that's always going to be a problem, Right? We're still dealing with, as Peter says, this things, these desires that wage against our soul. Of course, that's always going to be a problem, right? Hello, duh. If you say you're without sin, then the truth isn't in you. Of course, we're still in process. We're still in the middle of our sanctification. We're not there yet. We're not going to be there until God fully redeems everything. Amen, right? Of course. That's always a temptation. But other people would say, well, the, the problem is you know, just isolation, and we need to be more relevant, Right? So we need to throw out the gospel. We need to throw out, we don't talk about sin anymore. We don't talk about anything. We, we just, we got to be cool. We got to be relevant, right? I mean, the pastor needs to be cooler. He's got to have cooler hair than this one, you know? He's got to preach from an iPad for crying out loud. Still don't preach for an iPad. I'm old school, piece of paper, right? I don't trust technology. 
Every time I use an iPad, it freezes up, and I'm just like cursing the heavens. So it's part of my sanctification. I, nothing against people that use iPads, right? But, but we, we think that's the, that's the thing. It's we got to become more relevant. But what Peter lays out for us is not accommodation and it's not isolation, but it's living distinct lives right in the middle of things. As a holy priesthood, as a chosen race, people of love and grace and mercy and service and good deeds and good works. That's how it's always worked. That's what God did in the Old Testament when he was bringing his people. He says, one day you're going to be a light to the nations. Why? So that others that don't believe would be drawn in. As you follow this God, as you follow his commands, as you listen and obey, guess what? Others will go, oh, that's what your God is like? Yeah, I forgive because God's forgiven me. Yeah, I show mercy to those that don't believe and and are my enemies because God's shown mercy to me. I'm hospitable to the stranger. You know why I'm hospitable to the stranger? Because God was hospitable to me, the stranger. He brought me into his family and I didn't deserve one iota of it. So I'm hospitable too. And so as we live in very imperfect ways, I always want to include that because I know we hear sermons like this and we're just like, oh, geez, we're the hope of the world. Uh, Let's go do something else, right? But as we do it imperfectly, by God's grace, by God's spirit, we can see others drawn in. We love the world that Jesus died for. We don't accommodate to it. We don't isolate from it, but we engage right in the middle of it. Now, here's the question I get all the time. I've used this quote many times, but what happens if we're so, you know, C.S. Lewis language, if we're so heavenly-minded are we going to be any earthly good, right? That's the knock on Christians. You guys just care about you know, your Jesus and your eternity and your kingdom, but you don't really care about us. You don't care about the world. You just kind of isolate. And you kind of live in you know, your own little holy huddles. Here's what C.S. Lewis said in Mere Christianity, one of my favorite quotes, that things he said. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next world. Aim at heaven and you get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you get neither. Let me read that again. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next world. Aim at heaven and you get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you get neither. You see the tension. This is what Peter's doing. Focus on your identity in Christ. You're a holy priest, a chosen race. You're sojourners, you're exiles. That's your true home. That's your identity. That's what grounds you and roots you. You have this living hope because you have a living Christ who's resurrected from the dead. And and then as you're rooted in that, and as your heart and your mind long for the kingdom and long for the heaven, guess what? You're going to be really useful in this life. You know why? Because the things that everyone runs after, you're not running after those things. And they're not going to overwhelm you like it overwhelms everyone else. Because everyone's like, well, I didn't get the job, and I didn't get the money, and I didn't get the stuff. And that's why the scripture is going to constantly tell us, be content. And if you have a lot or you have nothing, find joy. Even if you have a million dollars or you have five bucks in the bank, because that's not the end goal. That's not the purpose. You're going to inherit the earth for crying out loud. And you're complaining that you don't have the right house or don't live in the right neighborhood. The whole universe is going to be yours. Anybody excited about that? Right? But yet we run after all the wrong stuff. All the wrong stuff. And Jesus is going, yeah, I'm going to give you everything. Does that sound good? How about an inheritance that no one can touch forever and ever? You want a mansion? Yeah, I'll give you one of those too. Why are you worried about your little house? 
That's what the gospel does. It gets our identity, our hopes, our dreams so rooted in Christ so now we can be really, really useful in this life. We can be good husbands and wives. Why? Because we're not putting all of our stock in our husbands or wives. They're not our ultimate good and joy. I'm not, and that always sounds, I know people hear that, it's like, geez, you're probably not a very good husband. No, how I become, I mean, you can ask my wife, but, but, but how I become a better husband and a better father is not to put my hope in my kids. It's to put it in Christ. And now I'm free to love them. Now I'm free to sacrifice for them. Now I'm free to serve them. How do I love my neighbor as myself? I don't look to my neighbor to be my ultimate joy and what they think about me. I find my identity in Christ, so now I'm free to love my neighbor. I'm free to sacrifice for them. I'm free to... Something just exploded. I'm free to lay my life down for them. How do I become hospitable? I look to the one who is hospitable to me. Because I didn't deserve it at all. And it was all grace and all mercy. Right? That's how this works. It's not to free us to make us passive and just look for heaven and wait for the day when God redeems all things. It's, it's No, it's actually to re-engage us. And that's exactly what Peter's trying to help us see here this morning. It's not accommodation. It's not isolation. But it's living counterculturally with our hearts and our lives rooted in this new identity as living stones, as a royal priesthood, as a chosen race, as sojourners and exiles in Christ, that our true home is in Christ and our true home is in the new heavens and the new earth. And out of that, now we can go and be salt and light wherever we're found. Wherever we're found. And you know what? When I think about it long and hard, and maybe if you think about it long and hard, that's exactly the mission that Jesus was on, right? Jesus was a stranger and an exile from heaven, right? He, he came from the perfections of heaven. He wasn't welcomed here, but he came into the world that he made. His true home was with the Father in heaven, but he came to die for his enemies. He came to forgive his enemies. The, the gospel is the only power in the universe that can give us that kind of resilience in the face of, of, of ostr- being ostr- ostracized or, or pushed aside. Is it just like Jesus, who was an exile and a sojourner, who came into a place that was hostile to him, he still was able to lay his life down as a servant to love and serve and bless, even when Others said, no, thank you. And we're called to be the same and live the same way. And so as we, we come to the table this morning, um, we're reminded of Jesus, the, the sojourner, the exile, the one who came from the perfections of heaven to lay his life down for us. And as we are rooted in him and as we find our identity in him, and now we go and we, we become this priesthood, just like our perfect high priest. We proclaim the excellencies of, of the one who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We, we, we proclaim the one, we used to not be a mercy people, but now we are God's mercy people. And it's all grace, and it's all his doing. So if you're a believer in Christ, please come to the table. The way we take communion is we break off a piece of the bread, we dip it in the cup. The bread represents the broken body of Christ. The cup represents the blood that was shed for us to forgive us of all of our sins. We'll have two lines in the front. If you have any kind of allergies, we have gluten-free, nut-free bread there in the middle. Feel free to take that as well. And secondly, if you're not a believer in Christ, we, we would just ask you to stay seated, but we want you to be because <laughs> we believe this, this Jesus is the cornerstone. He is the foundation of all things, the reality of all things. He holds all things together. And we've all been there, and we always have, we've all had questions and stumbled over things. And even today, we, we still have questions, right? That doesn't go away. 
But we want you to believe, and we have some prayers in the city life that you can read over and think on. If you want to talk about that, what that means, what that looks like, why we believe what we believe, please come and chat with me or one of the others. I'd love to, to talk more about, about that. So with that, let us pray. Father, thank you for Jesus, who's our true exile, who's our true sojourner, who came to us to give us a hope and a future to give us a new identity that nothing or no one or no circumstance or no experience can touch that's rooted in heaven, that we have this living hope, that we, have the, we are living stones because we have a living God. And we are a royal, royal priest. And, 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 and to the world, we, we look foolish, we look silly. I mean, is this really the hope of all things? And yet, strangely and oddly, by your eternal wisdom, you said the church is going to be the place where the manifold wisdom of God is put on display through imperfect people like us. So I pray this week that as we, we kind of think about what that means and the implications of that, that our, our lives would be so rooted in this identity that, that it would flow out and spill out into our, our, our families, into our neighborhoods, into our, our workplaces, wherever we are, God, that we would truly lay our lives down for others because you've laid your life down for us. So we thank you for all that you are, for all that you're doing, all that you will continue to do. We love you and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Come and celebrate the Lord's Supper with us.